This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guests are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. Essentially, the role of a bank when making lending decisions is understanding what is the risk associated with any lending decision, what is the potential return on that investment, and then deciding whether or not that return justifies taking on that associated risk. So that got me thinking about climate risk, and how is that assessed through that process, and how will that impact lending decisions into the future? I'm your host, Blake Holgate, and to discuss how banks are approaching climate risk, I'm joined by Rubberbank's very own Chief Risk Officer, Richard Lorray. Richard, welcome to Talks Growing Our Future podcast. Thanks, Blake, and thanks for having me on the show. No, I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Um, before we get into it, we always like our guests to give listeners a, a bit of a, a background about themselves and you know where they've come from and, and their career to date. So you're able to give us a, a, a bit of a, an overview about your career so far. Yeah, sure. So um, coming up to just over 30 years in banking um, and can't believe how when I say that it, uh, how much time has actually gone by. But um, yeah, I started my career with ANZ actually in Auckland. And uh, in fact, my first job was handing out checkbooks to customers. Uh, you know, they'd come in, give me a dollar fifty, and, and then I'd give them their checkbook. And um, it'd be fair to say I didn't find that particularly uh, enjoyable or uh, particularly fulfilling. I decided that actually maybe the army was more my thing. Wasn't too long before I found myself in Waiuru in the middle of winter, sitting in a foxhole and decided that actually banking was probably my thing after all. So uh, tail between my legs, um, I uh, ended up going back to banking. And it's been a pretty cool ride since then, to be honest. I've um, spent probably half my career in Australia and um, and the other half in New Zealand um, with stints in Singapore for a little while there as well, servicing uh, Southeast Asia. My role has spanned everything from retail banking all the way through to corporates and, of course, uh, agribusiness. And um, and now I find myself as the Chief Risk Officer for Rabu Bank and uh, have been with uh, the bank now for three years. What an interesting background. So as I mentioned at the start, Chief Risk Officer, what, what does a Chief Risk Officer do for a bank, Richard? Yeah, it's a question I ask myself quite a lot, uh, actually, Blake. Um, but um as you said in the intro, banks ultimately, at the end of the day, our job is to um, is to manage risk. That's effectively what we do. And the chief risk officer effectively is um, sitting over all of the risks of the bank. You know, if you think about the various risks that the bank have, most people can associate maybe credit risk is um, perhaps the most common. You know, that's our, the risks we have that customers are not going to pay us back when we lend the money. But there are a number of other risks that we also take. So we've got operational risk, which is the way in which we manage our business and the efficiency that we, um, in terms of how we manage ourselves. There's also liquidity and market risks. So they're the risks associated with how we fund ourselves as an organization. There's compliance risk, obviously, uh, which everybody is, um, who will be listening to this podcast would be uh, well familiar with. And then there's business risk and, um, and business risk is perhaps one of the more interesting ones because that's our ability to execute on our strategy has to do with our reputation, and now increasingly it has to do with uh, climate and ESG risk. 
And so my role is to work with the board to help communicate the risk appetite that the board sets for the bank. And uh, I put that into policies and procedures and into standards. We roll that out across the network to make sure that we're actually managing those risks appropriately and in line with the board's expectations. Okay, so your role is obviously much broader than just the risk on any particular lending decision then. Yeah, absolutely. So the hint is in the word chief, right? So, um, you know, if you think about what they call in the banking sector, the C-suite, you know, C-suite executives, chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, the chief risk officer, the chief technology officer, chief information officer, chief operations officer, all of those roles are effectively what we'd call enterprise roles. So, you know, my role sits across the enterprise. I'm not you know, as you said, I'm not necessarily uh, involved in day-to-day decisioning on a particular customer. Okay, well, let's delve into actually how, how you go about your role or, or, or banks more generally. You know, how do banks assess risk? It's a bit worn and a bit of a cliche, but the deployment of credit to customers is effectively the same, whether they be in retail business or agribusiness, right? So the principles of lending are essentially boil down to five key things. And uh, you'll often hear risk people talk about the five C's of lending. You know, the first one would be the customer. So, you know, it's pretty obvious, but who are you actually lending to? That takes into account things like obtaining ID, making sure that we've got previous account histories, doing background checks, those types of things. The next one sort of stems from that, which is a bit about character. And what we're trying to do there is we're trying to establish who are we actually dealing with? What's the client's history with other organisations? Are we are we able to establish that? Do we know them as business people? What are their involvements in community? And really what we're trying to get to is a point of saying, is this somebody that um, you know we can work with and uh, that we can trust them? Uh, we're going to have a good business relationship with. Then you start to get into the nuts and bolts, right? So we start to look at capacity and that really boils down to how's the loan going to be repaid? What's the sustainability of the business? How operationally resilient is it? How certain are we of the cash flows that are going to be generated from that business? Then you start to look into the um, the other elements. So we start to look at collateral. So how is the bank going to actually secure itself against the risk that it's going to take? What are the af- assets that are being supported to uh, or being offered to support the loan? How sustainable and viable are they? And obviously how valuable. And then the last piece of the puzzle, the fifth C, is conditions. And what we're talking about there is what are the terms that are being sought? How are we going to structure this loan that actually meets the need of the client? What are the other external factors that we might need to take into account? I mean, obviously, certain sectoral factors play into that and provide some degree of nuance in terms of the way you approach those five Cs. But fundamentally, the process is the same, whether you're lending to a retail client for the purposes of perhaps buying a house or whether we're lending to a farmer for the purposes of uh, acquiring a farm and running a farm. Okay, so within that framework for assessing risk, traditionally, how have environmental and climate change considerations been taken into account? Yeah, well, notwithstanding the fact that climate and ESG is a fairly recent and topical conversation, you would appreciate that an agribusiness bank takes into account climate and ESG risk um, almost all the time. So the way we have um, integrated that into our processes is essentially over three levels. So the first level is what I would call the strategic level. So this is actually at the risk appetite level. So this is how has the bank gone about actually determining what positions it wants to take and what sectors, where do we want to play, 
what does sustainable lending look like to those particular sectors? And we do that through the board setting risk appetite. We do that through our policies and processes and underwriting standards. Then there's the risk assessment level, um, which is the bit that probably most people would be familiar with, right? So that's when we're talking, we're looking at the client, we're looking at transaction, we're looking at collateral, we're looking at products. And then the last piece is actually the piece that I'm perhaps more involved in personally, which is actually at a more portfolio and strategic level, which is when I look at the balance of all the risks we have, are we comfortable with that balance? And, uh, you know, what does our emissions profile start to look like? Where is our exposure sitting? What concentrations of exposures do we have? But if you think about the assessment level, most people will be surprised to realise how detailed we actually go into climate and ESG risk, even right now. I mean, there's obviously a lot of development that we're doing in this space, but, you know, even if I look at it right now at a client level, Rabobank goes through a process of assessing every client's individual sustainability, right? So we would look at the farm practices that are being used by our, um, our clients and actually determine how sustainable those practices are. And we call that process our client photo. And I think that's probably something people have, in previous podcasts have talked about, but it's a sustainability tool designed to give us a bit of a basic insight into the relative sustainability of the farming at farm and the farming practices. And it also allows us to benchmark our clients against one another to determine who are our front runners and the people that we really want to um, get alongside and use to actually bring others with them in our portfolio overall. At a transaction level, we start to look at things like um, historical financial performance. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in the bank, in Rabobank, is banking through a cycle. When we do that, what we're looking for is for any new customer who comes on board, we're looking for a sufficiently long period of um, of historical accounts, normally about five years, that gives us an indication of how sustainable the um, financial performance of that uh, group is. Now, you'd think there that we're actually only looking at financials, but you know, for all of those who are in the agri-sector, you know that over a five-year period, you're going to get at least one climate event, right? So we can generally look at those historical accounts and actually determine to some extent the degree that the business is able to adapt to climate or climate events or how resilient their business actually is, and particularly to other things like commodity prices and farm working expenses. Then we turn our minds to the collateral and we've got an internal valuations team we'll go through a fairly comprehensive checklist of issues that we will look at with respect to the um, collateral that's being provided. And that can include a whole bunch of things that are, you know, currently includes things like soil type, land use, topography, production capacity, having regard to things like irrigation. We look at historic and projected rainfall. We look at access to water and relative licenses that a, a client might have. Uh, we look at environmental risk management. I mean, you know, particularly with um, issues like um, how is effluent discharged and how are nutrients placed on the land. We'll also look at um, long-term macro changes and climatic considerations. You know, I've already talked about rainfall, but we'll also look at temperature, drought, flood and frost. Those factors play in different ways on in terms of different sectors. So if you're thinking about if I'm looking at a dairy um, operation versus, say, a kiwifruit operation, some of those factors are more important than others. And then finally, at, an, at a product level, our customers are already using our all-in-one product to facilitate transitions away from their existing uh, operations into new and more sustainable operations. And by that, we've been supporting our farmers for years in terms of things like, you know, irrigation systems, fencing waterways, riparian plantings, solar, uh, regenerative natural bush, all of those sorts of things. So that's already happening. 
But one of the new developments uh, that you're seeing from banks now is actually the deployment of, um, you know, green loans or sustainability linked loans where depending on the nature of the, um, of the lending, we are able to um, provide a very specific product to actually meet that need. Um, it's priced accordingly, but it's subject to certain metrics being achieved over the course of the farm's life cycle. That's an area that's uh, still developing and uh, we're still working on. So the assessment of, of shall we say, sustainability performance of the clients isn't just doing it for the sake of understanding where they sit on the sustainability continuum, but it's probably more about understanding tangibly how does this impact the business from a profitability perspective, from an asset value perspective and a needs perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sustainability is much more than just climate, right? It's about how sustainable is your business practice, um, how sustainable are your cash flows, how sustainable are the markets that you're supplying to? How sustainable are, you know, things like uh, the infrastructure that uh, surrounds you? These are things that our farmers have to deal with every day. And um, it's the way in which we look at things too. In saying that, is the focus or how we're looking at it or the emphasis on those factors changing? And if so, how? Yeah, it's changing pretty rapidly, actually, Blake. So, and I think for, for a couple of really good reasons, right? So, you know, unless you're living under a rock, our climate is becoming increasingly volatile. And so those changing weather patterns and warming climate do create different risks and are exposing our, um, our clients to more and more severe physical risk elements that they've, than they've probably been historically exposed to. So that's something that we're having to have a look at and make sure that um, our clients are are able to adapt to those and are making the right choices around um, their investments and uh, making sure that they actually have a sustainable operation. There's obviously increasing regulation. I mean, it's not only farmers that are copying uh, increased regulation, you know, the entire financial sector is as well. And um, some of it's good, some of it's frustrating, but all of it's necessary ultimately at the end of the day, and we have to uh, follow all those rules. There's also increasing expectations of stakeholders. So we're already seeing changes in uh, value chains happening now, you know, the likes of Nestle coming out with their announcements, uh, Fonterra recently um, with their own climate disclosure. So the value chain itself is actually moving um, and that is being driven by customer needs and um, and changing consumer preferences. So we need to look at those things. You've also got NGOs and our own depositors as well that are also um, looking at climate and sustainability um, in terms of how the financial sector is actually responding to that. And then the last piece is actually the commitments that we've made as a global organisation. And perhaps the two most significant there are as being a signatory to the Paris Accord and also um, to the uh, Net Zero Banking Alliance. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've been in this role for 10 years now and I reckon for eight, eight and a half of it, I was, I was talking to farmers about the spotlight they were under and the, and the changing requirements and, and regulations they face, which hasn't changed. But particularly in the last year, year and a half, that spotlight has certainly turned on to us as, as financial institutions as well and has become a lot more acute. You did mention in there, Richard, you know, one of the factors is the regulatory pressures or changes or drivers we're coming under. Are you able to elaborate? at all, a little bit around what that involves? Yeah, well, sure. I think the first is market expectations, right? So the climate risk disclosures that uh, will become mandatory effectively from the end of this year are a, um, a big piece for us to consider. And that requires us to talk to the market about how we are actually going about managing climate risk in our own portfolio, right? So the publication of that disclosure will be happening early next year. We are also, as a result of that, we're having to think now about, okay, so we've 
been looking at climate, obviously, um, intrinsically in our processes for years, but we need to be a lot more purposeful going forward in terms of actually how we do that. So we're starting to look to the market along with everybody else around, well, what are the tools out there to actually assist us? So we're talking about things like uh, geospatial mapping and heat maps that would allow us to, at a very granular level, almost down to a farm level, be able to sort of get a visual representation of physical risks over time for each of our clients, even to the point of, you know, with some of the geospatial mapping, we can actually, um, we're getting to a point where we believe we can start to calculate biomass in terms of those maps that uh, we're able to generate. Along with everybody else, we're collecting emissions data. And for all those farmers out there, um, I can hear the groans already because um, I know virtually every car that comes up the driveway, they're asking the same question. One of the challenges for us is how do we collect the data without necessarily having to go to the same source over and over and over. And so one of the areas that Rabobank is uh, looking at is actually how do we collaborate with the value chain to actually get a lot of this information without the need to actually force our uh, our clients to continually give us data over and over and over. So that's something that we're looking at. We're also looking at inclusion of physical and transition risks from climate into some of our modelling in terms of the way we look at stress tests over our portfolio and also the way we even calculate the probability that a client will actually potentially default on a loan. That's perhaps a little bit further away, but um, you know banks are uh, working on those models all the time. And then the last is... In terms of our credit assessments now, actually pulling climate and ESG risk out has almost a specific risk type and actually talking about that very specifically in terms of the context of what particular risk would this particular farmer be exposed to and how adaptive are they to that and, uh, you know, what sort of transitions might they need to make in the future. It's interesting because, you know, a lot of that we're looking at through the risk lens, but, you know, where there's risk is opportunity, right? Because you think about some of the insights that this will potentially provide not just to us but to our clients and farmers in general is really about understanding how they can set themselves up to succeed into the future through understanding those risks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this goes to the heart of us being a transition bank, right? So we've said that over and over that, uh, you know, we want to work with our customers through this transition. And I think you're right. I think there is just as many opportunities as risks. The problem is, of course, is that it's much easier to see the risk than it is sometimes to see the opportunity. But um but, you know, when you think about New Zealand as a cool climate country and you just sort of step away from the whole global warming piece, you can see that actually we're in a unique position to potentially be quite a big beneficiary from, um, you know, global shifts in food production. And, uh, you know, that's really where I see there's a huge opportunity for New Zealand. But it also means, though, that we have a responsibility to be able to also demonstrate that in taking up those opportunities, we can do so in a sustainable way and in a way that means that we can produce more food, but with a um, a smaller footprint than uh, perhaps is the case right now. So in terms of the bank's expectations of, of clients over the, maybe, you know, the short term, next one to two years and beyond that, five years plus, how do you see that playing out, Richard? Well, I think in the near term, what you'll see is we've got the same challenge as most other, in fact, many of the people listening to this podcast, right? So there's a lot of data out there, but it's what data can you get hold of and uh, and how meaningful and useful is it, right? So um, so we're scrambling along with everybody else to find out, well, what data do we need to collect and how are we going to use it? In the interim, though, what you are going to see from most financial institutions is they're going to be a lot more purposeful around climate and ESG risk. And by that, I mean 
climate and ESG risk management and adaptability will become part of our regular dialogue with, with our customers. It's actually now part of the conversation around the kitchen table. We will be gathering data. So, um, you know, everyone is scrambling to get it. And it's important because once we establish a baseline, then we can actually meaningfully move to somewhere else, right? But um, until we know what that baseline position is, um, it's very hard to sort of be quite um, purposeful in terms of what future steps you're going to take. So getting that baseline, making sure that we understand where we are as a starting point is um, is absolutely critical. We are going to be looking for our clients to have clear environmental plans or farm management plans. So, uh, you know, it's quite important that, you know, our customers are actually committed to getting those plans in place and uh, making sure that they're actually starting to think about what the future of their farm looks like. And we're also looking at uh, products and other arrangements to support clients transitioning, which I've already talked about in the context of green loans and sustainability linked loans. And there may be other products that uh, emerge over the over the next one or two years. Five years and beyond is actually a little bit more interesting. The pace at which we're moving now, it's actually pretty hard to determine what that's going to look like. But what I would suggest, though, Blake, without being too alarmist about it, is that in five years' time, you'll either be on the bus or you won't be. If you haven't started in five years' time, it will be way too late. And I think you can expect that if you're not on this journey, finance is going to be very hard to come by and it will be quite expensive if you can get it because there is no doubt that the whole value chain is moving. You know, if you're a dairy producer, you've already seen um, Fonterra's uh, climate risk disclosure that they just recently put out. That has some commitments there. Those commitments are not by accident. Those commitments reflect the fact that they in turn have customers that um, have made commitments such as Nestle. And so that entire value chain is moving. I get it. Ultimately, everybody goes to the bottom of the value chain. Uh, but um, that's what we're here for in terms of actually working with uh, with our clients to actually transition to the, those new pathways and helping them um, achieve a much more sustainable uh, future for themselves. And essentially, that's the same demands or pressures us as a financial institution are facing as well, right? Like if, if we're not getting on that bus, we ourselves will find it harder and harder to access the capital that we require to lend out to our clients. Yeah, 100%. You know, so we're all on the journey together, right? So there's no there's no one person pushing anybody any harder than the other, right? So uh, we all have to get on board and we've all we've all been part of the value chain. Uh, we've all enjoyed being part of the value chain and we all now have to uh, move together as one towards this new future. There are a couple of things I think farmers can be doing now. I mean, the first is obviously the the piece that we've talked about, which is know your numbers. I know already a lot of farmers know their numbers really, really well. Start talking about them. Talk about them with your bank. Again, be quite purposeful about those conversations around climate and ESG risk. You know, have those conversations. Tell the bank what you're doing around adapt, you know, adaptive farming practices or regenerative farming practices. Start thinking about what the future may look like. You know, challenge your financier as well about, well, what does the future look like? What do we see the future looking like? There are plenty of free websites that can give very high level heat maps um, and ideas about what global warming actually looks like. You know, start having a look at those, get a bit curious about what the future could look like under different scenarios and how would you adapt to those if those outcomes became real. And I think engage widely as well. There are plenty of resources out there. You know, we've talked about um, engaging with your financier. We've got Rabo Research, obviously. You know, we've got our own sustainability team within Rabobank. Speak with your neighbours, talk with your accountants, talk broadly to everybody. But, um, you know, this is 
not something that's going to go away. It's here now. We have to deal with it. And, um, you know, I think quite rightly and responsibly we should. So, um, you know, that'd be the messages I'd send out to people in terms of things they should be looking at. Yeah, which is interesting, right? When we talk about being on the bus, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have this highly prescriptive, aggressive decarbonisation pathway that you have with the next discussion with your bank manager, right? Where most people are in the journey, as you articulated, Richard, is actually, where's my starting point? What does this all mean? And what are some of the options I'm going to have going forward to make improvements? Yeah, and listen, we're, we're realistic, right? I mean, everybody's on a different part of the journey, right? So um, if you're not on the bus, get on the bus, jump on. There are some people who have been on it for a while, to be fair. I think you probably interviewed some of those people on your on your show in terms of, you know, representing genuine best practice uh, in the marketplace. They've seen this coming for a while. They've been actively managing it. Don't You shouldn't be feeling bad about the fact that, um, you know, if you're feeling a little bit behind, that's fine. You know, we are where we are. We just need to start moving pretty quickly. You know, one of the biggest risks I see for us is, as the agribusiness value chain, is that if we don't move, people will move for us, right? So, um, you know, other people will make decisions for us that we don't necessarily want. That's what we call transition risk, which is, you know, if you fail to transition, if you fail to move, then we can expect things like uh, what we term cliff top policies coming out from uh, government or, uh, or regulators that will just basically say, right, well, we're not seeing enough action here. So uh, we're just going to uh, make some big calls. And, uh, you know, those big calls inevitably have unintended consequences. So we want to make sure that we're in charge of our own destiny, right? So um, it's incumbent on all of us to not wait and to get moving. I think it's a great point because you look at the strength of New Zealand agriculture over history and it's through innovation, right? Like it's around, okay, tell us where we need to get to and we'll, we'll figure out how to get there. The risk is if we do nothing and as you say, it becomes highly prescribed around what you need to do to get there. The scope or ability to innovate becomes significantly less and we've got to maintain that that ability to define our own own pathway to get there and, and, and find ways that maybe many people haven't even thought about yet that then becomes our competitive advantage. Are there any other key messages or tips, Richard? As I said, I mean, jump on the bus, right? So uh, let's all get there. We're all going to get there together. It's the whole value chain has to move. It's not one part of the chain. Everybody's got to move at the same pace. And, um, you know, if you're worried about that, if you have any concerns about it, come and speak to us. We're here to help. And, uh, you know, we understand that everyone's at a different starting point. We understand that we're prepared to work with that and we're uh, we're happy to have that conversation with you. But I think the one thing you do need to do is just start thinking about it, start gathering those numbers together, start thinking about what you need to do to be more resilient, start thinking about the fact that actually the world we're going to live in tomorrow is going to be a little bit warmer than it is today and that is going to mean that you know, we will be facing different risks and we need to be resilient towards those and adaptive towards them as well. Excellent. Look, I think that's a, that's a great way to wrap it up and, and summarise it. Look, thank you very much, Richard, for the conversation. Um, I think the area or nexus you're working in is fascinating in this whole ecosystem change that we're going through. But I think, you know, some of the, the key messages there is, is just make a start. Don't get freaked out. I think this could actually work out very well for individuals and us as a country if we do it right. But I think, you know, the key there is just making momentum, forward progress at the right pace. No, I agree 100%. We've already got some distinct competitive advantages over other nations around the world, right? So we just need to keep our foot on the throttle there and uh, and keep going hard because, um, you know, I think there's more opportunities and there are risks, to be perfectly honest, and uh, we just need to be open-minded to those and grab them when they come up. 
more opportunities than risks coming from our chief risk officer. That sounds pretty good to me. So look, thank you very much, Richard. Appreciate the conversation. No worries at all. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Talks Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rubberbank can support you to succeed in the future, please go to rubberbank.co.nz.